Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest that I think you'll all really enjoy. She is a podcaster and a writer. Alice Kashuda, thank you for joining me. Welcome for having me on. Absolutely. So I always love having you on and I thought we would get into a topic we haven't really touched on the last few times you've been on, which is something you've been writing about recently, the family. I really liked that you were kind of addressing a problem. I think one of the most controversial opinions I have, funny enough, for people on the right is that men and women have to get along. Uh, that that seems to be something that uh, that is kind of shocking to a lot of people. Something that that maybe some people don't necessarily agree with. And uh, you know, while I think there are of course massive problems with feminism, I do think that this is a, a problem that is one of coordination and technology and all kinds of stuff that you kind of touched on in your piece. So I wanted to to start with an insight that I think uh, was was a really good one which is that a lot of the advancements through technology and, and like social technology, social engineering that we have put a lot of time in, that, that a lot of men specifically put a lot of time and innovation and, and, and sweat and brain power into, have in many ways made them obsolete and made it very difficult for men and women to kind of find a rhythm and, and kind of properly sig signal uh, to each other. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this whole piece comes comes a little bit from a frustration of mine because I spend my time uh, obviously a lot on the dissident right and kind of you know even in manosphere circles and that's kind of a, a well known sphere for a lot of uh, listeners, my my audience as well. Uh, but I also have been spending time in the so called rad femme circles, and it's very interesting how much of a mirror image of of the two that they you know you put them in opposition. And the um, you know the, the ferocity and monstrosity of anecdotes and statistics and um, I don't know pretty much fear mongering about the other sex that you find in, in these circles is of the same caliber that you find even in, in, the, in the deepest darkest MGTOW uh, you know places that you can imagine um, you know kind of a, a, bit, a bit of a schizophrenic tone about what's what's even possible with with the other sex and. Um, I thought, okay, you know, <laughs> this seems like a, a topic that's uh, um, on everybody's mind. It's something that I've obviously considered myself quite a lot. I mean, I feel like I've reached some form of personal equilibrium with my, in my relationship with the opposite sex, being married and having children and a second one on the way, by the way. <laughs> this is the first time I'm mentioning this, but yeah. Um, oh, congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, in, in, in August. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Things are things are going uh, pretty well in this department for me. So I thought, you know, okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna just write out my um, my position, which is not necessarily rosy. I mean, a lot of that article that I wrote is pretty much a kind of a you know darkish, black pillish type of situation uh, because it does describe a situation that you know we are kind of the last man and the last woman, but what you know, what is causal to this situation and where to point the finger and where to lay the blame. I think that's where we, where we fail. And I feel like people need to understand that we're in this together. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk about um, men being emasculated and I agree. I think men are being emasculated, but um, you know, the, the culprit isn't necessarily feminism or women as an entity, you know, coming in, you know, putting their foot down and emasculating men women have been masculinized as well. I mean, we've all kind of converged to this kind of androgynous unit of humanity that needs to perform in the industry and consumption modes and, and, and all of these, um, because this is what the circumstances require. This is what 
you um, needed to do and what you could do and what you also couldn't do. Like you described it very well. A lot of the technologies that made life comfortable for us, you know, indoor plumbing, heating systems, electricity, running water, all sorts of things that you needed to spend quite a lot of time on uh, back in the day and involved a lot of hard, you know, manual labor, lifting things, fighting off things, you know, fending, chopping, all sorts of things that required uh, both skill and power are done by the market or the state now. They've been taken off your hands. Um, the tasks that are left in the household and in life in general um, are kind of the the one-to-one -one tasks, you know, the caring tasks, the washing up, you know, laundry, you know, it's done by the machine, but you still have to put the stuff in, take the stuff out, dry it, fold it, all sorts of little um, feminine type tasks. And um, the reality is that in, in most households, if you don't um, actively decide as a man that you will fix I don't know, what can you fix, I guess, the doors and do carpentry and things like that, which are quite skilled now because there's a lot of complexity to these things and you have to learn these skills. They don't fall into your lap. Your dad didn't teach you. Most, most people of my generation weren't taught by their, their fathers directly of how to do things in the household. So um, people usually just call, they call the carpenter, they call the guy to fix the TV, you know, the, the, the cars, the cars are made out of, I don't know, IT modules now. They're, they're essentially, you know, are impossible to fix by someone who's not, I don't know, um, very highly skilled mechanic. So I think we've kind of gotten into a little bit of a corner with, uh, with technology and with the abundance that essentially, you know, you mentioned that men have created. The men of ages past, not, you know, directly the men of now, but they're maintaining it. Um, so, you know, we're... We're in this point. And women as well. I mean, women kind of have been left with the caring um, tasks of, of day to day. Uh, but at the same time, they've also, for reasons, you know, you could say, okay, it's partly feminism. Why are women in the workforce? I mean, women in the workforce are also because of, you know, historical reasons. I mean, wars, the possibility, even just the possibility of not having to, you know, fight for survival is, is a very easy thing to uh, not only bring about the, the, the soft conditions of history where you can actually think about, oh, what, what should we be doing? What should the relationship between the sexes be? Um, but also just, you know, to, to give people options. I mean, if you want to do this, you can do this uh, because you're not under the like iron rule of nature. You're not under the insane schedule of agriculture. You know, all of these pressures fell away and we could get, I don't know, creative in a way with what we want to do, what we should do. And that's just, you know, it was fairly an organic process. So, I mean, essentially what I, what I was reacting to with this article was this, like, growing sense of animosity, growing sense of feeling that, okay, we can't get together, you know, why, why should we even try? And the reality that I know, you know, I, I was someone who was in a position where I was very um, disenchanted with the whole idea of, of marriage, I mean, you know, raised by boomers in a very, you know, conflict-laden household, and I just didn't understand why anyone would go through this, why put your children through this, you know, and I kind of had to have um, almost like a rediscovery of what it could mean and, and how good it could be, but it took me a while. And um, I just don't want people to lock themselves out of this opportunity because they just load themselves with whatever, you know, divorce rape statistics, or I don't know, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, you, if you, 
get married, you're, I don't know, you're stuck in the longhouse and going to be emasculated until the day you die. So I, I don't know. It's just, uh, it just felt like there was a lot of, um, a lot of unnecessary blackpilling on the, on the timeline. So I thought, you know, maybe I'll, I'll just put my thoughts out there. Yeah, it's something that I understand is is very difficult for a lot of people. Of course, many people in my generation are in exactly the position you're talking about. I'm I'm in now, I guess, what is the minority in that I came from a, a kind of a very cleaver-esque household. You know, my parents had a great relationship. They were very, you know, caring to us. It, it was always something that I wanted, you know, it's it always something that seemed very positive to me when people looked around and said, this can't work anymore. It doesn't work anymore. I just never understood what they meant because I, I had kind of experienced it firsthand. So, so I knew what it was supposed to look like, but at the same time, looking at the world around me, I can certainly understand why so many people didn't, you know, didn't know what it was supposed to look like, how they can't even imagine someone like that even operating in, in the modern world. And I think it's really important, you know, Mary Harrington also makes this point that, that feminism is a, is an outgrowth of of that technology right it's a, it's a luxury item stacked on top of many other technological and social advances it, it's really the the fact that you can even have the conversation about male and female roles is itself a very decadent thing right it's it's it shows that your civilization has reached a point of security and safety where it can just generate its own problems and eat itself from the from the inside because you no longer are are falling into like you said those very there's very clearly defined roles that no one needed to figure out or explore that came with just biological realities in a situation where you're fighting for your survival. Women don't kind of have the health care that allows them to decide, you know, all kinds of things and, you know, to enter the workforce. And the, this is just not an option. Someone had to make sure that the species continued and someone had to make sure that no one killed you in the process. And so you didn't really have to figure all of this out, but now you know, way more negotiation. And whenever we have negotiation, we end up having a lot more disarray and confusion, I think. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, the main thing. You know, it's, it's not just a relationship between men and women that were essentially liquefied by this. You know, all of, you know, this is essentially the theme of, of the dissident right, like the fact that a lot of... Um, a lot of pacts that we used to have with each other and with nature and which with, you know, the hierarchies between people were dissolved by the simple fact that, you know, you didn't need to hustle for shelter and food and, you know, the, just a, a sudden influx of abundance and, you know, just the amenities of, of living in the modern world um, gave, gave us a bit of leisure time to consider all of these, uh, these interesting things and um, spin off all sorts of ideologies from that. You know, because uh, the idea that, you know, men and women have equivalent strength. I mean, just imagine, in, in, you know, historical times, you know, just just positing that would <laughs> just get you thrown into the loony bin or whatever local dungeon, what have you, um, because it was clearly insane. But the fact that we can even consider that means that we're so far removed from the facts of the bare facts of existence and, you know, foraging and, you know, extracting, uh, you know, sustenance from nature that, uh, you know, it, it's very hard to, to resuscitate those pressures. I think that's the, that's the problem. I think that's kind of the black pill here as well. And you mentioned negotiations. I mean, negotiations is what we have because we're, we're in a different place. And, you know, I know people fantasize about, I don't know, a reintroduction of the, the patriarchy in, in some form of another. I mean, the patriarchy was a social technology that worked, you know, perfectly for certain conditions, certain pressures, um, a certain, you know, 
you need a certain type, you know, you need protection, you need the exertion of force, all of that stuff worked um, within that set of pressures. Those pressures are off now. They might return, I'm not saying, you know, <laughs> that's an, another layer of black pill. They might return quite, you know, quite sooner, maybe in a thousand years, who knows, but they're pro they probably will return with a cycle of, uh, and then things will, you know, even themselves out quite quickly. But for now, with the uh, parameters that we have, we are in a point of, of negotiation. And I can also understand if people really, you know, MGTOW level people who really are on the fringes at the, at the end of their tether, you know, the, the, the most disillusioned radfems and the most, uh, you know, upset MGTOWs that they want to completely opt out. Um, but I don't think that should be a mainstream thing because I also believe one thing about ideology, you know, by swimming in, in the sea of ideologies in the last few years is that the ideologies that I tend to believe them uh, in are the ones that bear fruit for the individual and for the communities around them. Like literally in terms of having children, if your ideology is barren, it doesn't produce uh, heirs except for, I don't know, some, some interesting blog posts, then I might not be as interested, even if the blog posts are extremely interesting. Um, if they, if it leads to, I don't know, desolation and despair in the lives of individuals and, you know, mental illness. Also, maybe even if it's really interesting, you know, it's, it's not, you know, so you will know them by their fruits. And I think, you know, maybe it's very uh, like pragmatist type view on, on, on how to apply them. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've found ideology to be very fruitful for me. Um, in some ways it saved me and I think it can save people. Um, but it's, uh, you know, one has to be careful <laughs> with, uh, with what you let into your, into your heart and mind, uh, because the internet's got everything, uh, and it's quite, uh, it's quite powerful. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. There's, you know, ideology is, uh, I hate saying there's, you shouldn't have ideologies because I think that's just kind of ignorant about how people work, but I think that your belief system, uh, should be grounded very, in a very particular need and a very like you said it should bear fruit it should show a promise it should better you yourself your community it should bring you to a better place and if it's not doing that then it doesn't matter if it gives you some kind of i don't know uh some kind of maze for your mind to run around in until you get tired and stop worrying about this it doesn't actually solve your problem and so i think those things I think so many of these things are just ways for different factions to kind of break off and believe the things they want to believe or invest in the things they want to invest in. And it just kind of gives them a, a narrative about why they should be able to kind of check out, uh, kind of opt out rather than providing anything that is actually going to solve your problem is, any, is ever going to bring any kind of positive change into your life. So I think it's very true that these things need to, these, these things need to be social technologies that bring you closer to a better way of life. And, you know, something that betters the community, those around you, rather than just something that lets you escape the kind of the the, like the black pills that keep falling into, you know, d different aspects of human relationships. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying, you know, I just want to say that the, the black pill is very enticing also because it absolves you of responsibility, um, you know, mm. which in a way is kind of the the opposite of, uh, of, of masculinity. It's the idea that, you know, things are so, so bad 
you know, the, the world is on fire. It's the end of days. Women are demons. Men are, you know, pigs at best. And it's time to, it's time to, you know, throw in the towel and just sit on the sidelines and, you know, do a, do a live stream vivisection of, of, of all the ills of the world. And, you know, what, what's, what's the responsibility on you? Well, you know, can't really do anything, you know, have you seen, have you seen these, uh, these people? So, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's appealing. And I feel like they're not, not only this, but there are a lot of incentives baked into just the, the framing of the internet and how social media works. Cause you know, we're talking about ideology online. This is not, you know, people picking up a book at the library and falling into some, some deep crevice. There are specific incentives built into how, leaders of ideologies, organized people, how they consolidate their positions online, how um, they try to cleave off other people, how, you know, like um, Gio Penichetti described this as like the, the shark womb of, of, you know, the dissident right, where you have to have someone uh, who's extremely aggressive and, and culling people and builds, builds kind of a fearsome reputation from that. So there are all sorts of little mechanisms built into this. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, they're, they're, things here that are not just a pure ideology. It's not just about, you know, this is our 10-point manifesto and the people who like it are ours and the people who don't aren't. There's, you know, all sorts of layers on it. And it's not necessarily good for the ideology itself. It's just the way the internet works. And it works the same if you're in a, I don't know, pro-anorexia community or, you know, you're into mommy bloggers who really like sleep training. And they all kind of have these these dynamics of of know, building cloud, sustaining cloud, consolidating groups, you know, cleaving off uh, dissenters, all sorts of this type of stuff. So um, I think these things, uh, these things are, just became apparent to me by being in these communities in these years. And I feel like this is a really interesting area of study just to see, okay, there is a certain life cycle to these, to these things, you know, the, independent of the truth claims of the ideologies themselves. Um, yeah. And I mean, this is, you know, interesting to me and I don't know, I just feel like a a uh, baby anthropologist of <laughs> case study of one, just looking at, you know, what's, what's kind of happened through my life cycle in these groups and seeing kind of what, what people are doing and, and how it's working for them. Do you, do you find that kind of exhausting though? I, I don't know. It's one of those things I, like, I know it's happening. I'm aware that it's happening. I know that technically I'm in the sphere and so I'm part of it in some way. But I just I don't think about it a lot. And then I like see someone and they just clearly walked by and kick someone's sandcastle because it's time for them to, you know, stir the pot or, you know, it's it's to defend their ground or here's a new target I can leech, you know, cred off of or something. And I'm just like, why? Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I understand why. It's not that I don't understand why, but I don't know. I I just I mean, I find it so boring. I know it's I know it's good TV. I know it gets people excited. I know it grows followers and stuff but i i don't know it, it's just again i i get it i understand but it's i it just the minute i see it i'm immediately exhausted and want to move on to something else yeah i mean it, it is a bit um you know it is repetitive because you know at, at first when i was uh, like on social media on twitter and stuff i was really excited about the beef so kind of adjacently you know come in and say say my piece about this or that person and stuff and then obviously the beefs kind of pulled me in or they were about me at one point and i was like whoa, I don't, don't necessarily want to, you know, yeah. make this bigger than it is. Um, and, and now I see them, you know, sometimes I admit I lurk and I look at the beefs, but the idea of, of starting, starting something like that myself is just, 
it's, I mean, who has the, the bandwidth? Because it, it pulls you into this like fight or flight thing when you're really in the middle of something like that. Because you, you, you know that, you know, thousands of people are watching their they're waiting for you to say a really cool, smart thing to destroy whoever is trying to, you know, usually of, you know, narcissism, a small differences type stuff, you know, we're all, we all believe in the 10 point plan, but you know, they have an addendum to 0.9. And then I say, no, 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 that should be under 0.7. And then all hell breaks loose because, you know, this is, this is the most important thing ever. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is, yeah, uh, an interesting thing, but it, it is important because, um, these circles are relatively influential. I mean, how influential, I think time will tell. I think it seems like some some important people are listening, how much that trickles into what they're actually going to do. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, in terms of cultural cloud for the size of the, the group, yeah, I mean, definitely a very hefty type of endeavor. I understand why people take it seriously and and you know, go go to the mat for whatever uh, sub sub point of their uh, manifesto they want to argue about today. Yeah, it, it is weird how influential it, it can be, <laughs> um, but 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 here we are. So uh, I want to get into some more stuff. I want to talk about okay. So if this is a a problem of technology, if it's something now that we have to navigate, what's the best way to navigate it? How do we meet people? How do we look at former relationships? What, what's the kind of stuff to look at? But before we do that, guys, we do need to go ahead and hear from our sponsor real quick. So let me go ahead and tell you a little bit about Pure Health here. So I know a lot of you guys are taking care of yourselves, you know, you're working out, you're watching what you eat. And that's really important, of course, because you got to start taking care of things like your liver. Why? Because the latest data from the American Heart Association is showing that adults with a fatty liver are three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those that don't. The American Liver Foundation says that 100 million Americans have, have fatty liver, which means there's a lot of people at, at risk. And look, there's so many things that are affecting your liver right now. You got things like cholesterol, alcohol, toxins. If you're leaning on things like Tylenol or statins, those can all damage your liver. And that's why so many people have a sluggish, fatty liver that makes them gain weight and lose energy. So if you're already working out and you're already eating well, then there are other things you can do to help out. You can take supplements like liver health formula. Liver health formula is an all natural supplement that contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver manufactured right here in the United States and approved by American doctors. So if you're looking to something for something to help you, you know, burn some fat, you're hoping to boost your energy and you're just trying to raise your health in general, especially your liver, try liver health formula and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you'll receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula, which helps reduce sugar cravings. And you also get four free eBooks to help support every aspect of your health. Try liver health formula by going to getliverhealthformula.com slash Oren to go ahead and claim your five free bonus gifts. That's get go to liver health, sorry, getliverhealth.com slash Oren. All right, guys. So going back to the issue of meeting people. I think this is probably the biggest thing for so many right now is, you know, you're, you have remote work or you have a remote school after all the COVID stuff. You don't have places like church. You don't have these, these kind of normal meeting houses where people would run into each other in the culture and find somebody who's got similar values, similar tastes, 
compatible. You've got all these dating apps, but I think you, I saw you say something uh, that I thought was very funny that I've been turning around my brain for a while. It said maybe using the same thing that mediates your ordering of a pizza to find a mate is is maybe not the best thing, which which I think is a pretty good piece of insight. How should we view this process now that that things have changed? Where should people turn to when it comes to finding someone? Yeah, I mean, this is you know uh, a core question, and I think you know the 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 answer is not as direct as it used to be. Just because, okay, we need to we need to negotiate with the situation a little bit, you know. For someone who made that uh, that joke uh, to actually have met my husband on OkCupid okay is quite <laughs> ironic, but that was just you know that, it was yeah. the beginning stages of of online dating. Things were still you know it was still the wild west, and um, I can obviously say. I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily discount trying to search for people on apps, especially apps that are maybe more branded towards long-term commitment. There are some that are a bit more like, okay, this is a more serious app. Um, on t- Tinder, maybe not necessarily the best or Grinder as well. Not, don't go on there. But there are there are directions that you could go um, that I think are useful. And I also gave this, uh, this advice to people who are trying to, you know, go the app route because it is the default now. So I you know, I, I wouldn't want to exclude all your chances there, you know, obviously optimize your photographs to make you look nice. Don't edit them to, you know, make you look too nice so that people are completely appalled when they see you. But um, the idea and it's, you know, the bio is also important. Women do read the bio uh, and uh, it should be something very, um, I don't know, not you just just kind of lay out a vision for what you'd like your life to be and say, OK, you know, this is this is my my tenure plan. And this is what, you know, is, is, if this is appealing to you, just, just let me know. And, you know, if you're interested in something more serious, obviously, and I think that's what, that's what most people are interested in now. Um, then I think, you know, obviously church people, a lot of people say church. I mean, this is a nuanced thing. I mean, participating in church, you should probably do that for other reasons. Um, there's also the problem that if you just show up at the church and try to, you know, uh, pick up women at the church, uh, you know, the church elders, yeah, yeah, and other people at the church might be a little bit, like, put off by you and maybe the girls as well. So, um, I don't know. Trying as best as you can to integrate in the community, um, honestly, and with, uh, with openness to the community itself, not just what you can gain from it in terms of whatever networking or, or, or relationships um, I mean, that's a good in itself uh, and, you know, it can have collateral benefits. Um, and there are, you know, all sorts of groups where people still meet in person. I mean, I remember when I was in the UK, I used to go to all sorts of meetups, you know, you know, people who are um, interested, I mean, through the meetup app. I know this is, again, a very, a very app uh, um, focused way of, of meeting people. But, you know, you have, I don't know, board games meetups, meetups about, I don't know, some area of interest, uh, I went to like um, a, I don't know a biology microscopics class there, and it was filled with interesting people. So I mean, if you're kind of in an urban area, I'm sure there are like a lot. Um, you can also meet people through uh, meetups that are uh, geared towards some area of work that you're interested in. I used to work in startups, so I would go to all these you know startup focused meetups where you you know have a beer with people in whatever industry and talk to them sell them something i mean that was my job but whatever you know you could you could do whatever you uh you needed to do there so um i think a lot of the problems here not necessarily that people don't exist out in the world and they don't do stuff it's that um there's a certain timidity that we've um, we've grown 
because of our interaction with technology. I mean, even I realized, I mean, I used to work in sales. I used to be able to pick up the phone and just like blabber on to someone and, you know, pitch to them, be very loose with my, uh, uh, my uh, voice and, you know, explaining things to people. And now after, maybe after COVID and just, you know, being in, in the internet for a few years, um, I feel like a lot of those skills are, are fading and I was I'm naturally an extrovert. So I can imagine that people who are already kind of on the introvert side are losing these skills at an even faster rate or, you know, never building them, never giving themselves a chance to do that. And um, I would urge people to have maybe just a smidgen more courage in how they interact, because uh, a lot of times the people um, at the party, you know, hanging around there, they just want someone to come up to them and talk to them. You know, everyone's waiting for the other person to make the first move. Um, and it is important, obviously, to do this tactfully with social skills. There are ways to do this. You know, you, the, the internet is full of, you know, charm school type content. It's important, you know, to not be super creepy an, at first interaction and, you know, to kind of know how to comport yourself with other people. Um, but that also comes with practice. So I guess just, you know, maybe 5% more um, courage to make the first move uh, could pay a lot of dividends because a lot of people just don't have that 5% in them. And if you are the person who who does, you know, it, you know, it might have uh, good returns. I mean, like I said, there's no silver bullet on this. I don't think there is like a, you know, guys, I know the place, you know, there's a, there's a basement down on X street and there's all the trad wives are there. That doesn't happen anymore. You kind of have to become a bit more um, resourceful and, you know, find, find your trad wife where you can, where you can, I guess. Yeah, it's a complicated kind of mixture of issues there because uh, in one sense, you're exactly right that so many people now are are sitting on the emotional couch. You know, you're, you're, if you sit on the couch all day, you're going to get fat, you're going to get out of shape, you're not going to be able to, to do important things. And if you're sitting home alone working or you don't have some kind of thing that forces you to go out and regularly interact with people, you're either not going to build or you're slowly going to atrophy those skills. And you, there's really just no substitute for reps uh, in anything. Uh, and it's particularly true when it comes to socialization. I was not a particular, you know, I shocked everyone here, but I was not a particularly smooth operator uh, when I was younger. I was not a particularly emotionally adept guy. But, you know, over time, you, you put yourself in enough social situations, you take some lumps, you, you're willing to get hurt because you will, and, and you kind of figure things out. And there are still, you know, I, I'm in a weird place because I met my my late wife in church. And then when, you know, came back out and there, there were, or, you know, at that time, there was no, you know, there's no online dating apps. There's none of that stuff. Uh, there, there's no meeting people online. You had to do it IRL. And then when I was ready to, to date again and, you know, found my current wife also at, you know, at church through friends there. So luckily I got to skip all of the, the electronic dating stuff, even though it was now like a, a more or less a prerequisite. So, so luckily I, I kind of got to bypass that in either situation, but it, it really does. You have to put yourself in those situations. You have to be willing to just constantly go out. It, the difference between you and the other guy is you're the one making the effort to constantly be in those scenarios. But there is also this really, to be fair to guys out there, a very difficult situation in that there's very hostile when it comes to approaches. Yes, 
most women do want you to to make the move. They want you to have the confidence. They want you to initiate the conversation. Again, like you said, in a non-creepy, you know, an understanding the social signals type of way. But the problem is then you also have, you know, just really predatory behavior. You know, everyone saw the uh the the TikTok with the girl, uh, you know, trying trying to trap guys at the gym. There's all of a sudden this explosion of women. Oh, guys have eyeballs in a gym. <laughs> you know, they, I can't believe they're looking in my general direction at any point. It's like actually that's kind of necessity for human beings to continue to exist. That they'll look at each other. You know, um, that that men will look at women and women will look at men. So you don't actually want to just punish that behavior at all times. And so there is this set of, of, of kind of punishing signals sent to men. Don't ever put yourself in the scenario because you could, you know, suddenly end up, you know, internet famous and lose your job because you just tried to talk to some girl at the gym. You have to, you have to get much, much better. Unfortunately, reading a room, that's not fair to guys. That's not fair to have that expectation of you have to make the move and you have to be able to figure out if this woman's going to suddenly like blast you on social media but also there's just isn't another option at the moment. So, so uh, not particularly helpful, but the only answer to that is, you know, you got to figure it out. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is also kind of a, a hard to, to stomach idea for anyone. Um, but, you know, if you're on the right, the concept of fairness is already a little bit suspect. I mean, men, and if, yeah. if we accept that men and women are different, and if we consider that, you know, the, the proportion of men who historically haven't, had a chance to to you know propagate their their seed even without feminism even under the strictest and most iron patriarchy um, you'll see I mean life is is not fair there's a tragic component in life that we've been uh, conditioned to 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 not um, accept because you know a lot of things you know if, if your pizza is cold you send it back you know if if the water's not running you call the guy who who makes it run you know a lot of things are are solvable. But the inherent issues of, of the difference between men and women um, are not. And obviously, you know, people say, oh, you know, women have it very easy. There are certain things. You know, spend some time in, in, in Radfem Twitter and you'll see. <laughs> At least they complain about a lot of, a lot of similar issues of unfairness and, and inequality and, you know, being targeted by disproportionate amounts of violence and all sorts of things. And um, it's, you know... There is there is a certain tragic component to life, um, and not everyone will get it to the same degree as uh, as others. And um, I mean, I've been I've been interested in kind of like internet ideologies recently, and I've been doing a lot of reading on antinatalism. Essentially, antinatalism is the fringe most position of this lack of acceptance of the tragic dimension of life. You know, or it's, you know, it's seeing the tragic dimension of life and saying no to life, you know, and being so appalled by the fact of the unfairness of the cruelty of the pain of life and the fact that, you know, it is a struggle. There is pain inherent in life um, that you just want to annihilate all of existence, you know. Um, uh, you know, Adam Lanza was, you know, very much tied into this ideology, kind of the, the, the philosophical end of it. Um, and he said no to life. In a very, you know, very uh, clear and painful and, and and direct way, and he took a lot of people with him. So, um, you know, there is there is a cost to this. There's a cost to life. Um, you know, <laughs> before we uh, we started recording, I, I remember just I ran into the you know the quote by by Kierkegaard about you know 
if you'll marry, you'll regret it. If you kill yourself, you'll regret it. If you don't kill yourself, you'll regret it. You know, this, you know, this is the essence of philosophy. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, this is, this is the essence of life. There's a lot of trade-offs. There's a lot of pain and a lot of um, fighting through things that uh, seem very lonely at times. It seems that you're the only person or that you're in an excluded minority and that you are having the hardest time of all. Um, but just remember that this is, this is baked into the, the pie for everyone. You know, maybe some people have better seasons. Maybe they have, they have a, a, an easier time on things you find difficult. Uh, but everyone's carrying their own burden. And um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't know if this is any consolation to anyone, but things are not supposed to be easy. Anything that's worth getting is, is, is complicated and hard. Um, even if it seems easy for some, especially with social media. Social media is a hall of mirrors, people. It's, it's not what it seems, you know. People um, show themselves in, in their best light, and it's not something you should compare yourself to. Anyway, until I fall into more, like, uh, you know, Vogue-type platitudes and stuff like that <laughs> to stop me, and we can move on to something more productive. No, I think it's really true, though. I mean, people, again, as you, you have this, you know, this abstraction right this you're you're so completely removed from reality you so rarely get to have genuine interactions especially unfortunately for many people with the opposite sex that it's really easy to forget you know we all tell ourselves oh i know that online's not real i know that the internet's not real i understand that it's all blah blah blah, blah. but that's not how they live their lives right that's not how they actually act that's how they adjust their expectations whether we like it or not we are constantly shaped by the things we consume we can tell ourselves that we don't believe tv we can tell we don't tell ourselves that we don't really absorb what we're seeing online or or what people are telling us online but at the end of the day we do because we're human and and that's just how humans work and so i, I think it's a little bit of i think it's a little bit of cope for people to just be like oh well that doesn't really it's like no it, it really does affect you and you have to unless you do put yourself in real situations unless you actively take the steps to kind of rip yourself out of that cocoon and put yourself in the real world where you'll get bumped and bruised and hurt and, you know, and, you know, you struggle against things, then you, you will just kind of believe the things that are constantly put in front of you. Uh, it's uh, one of the things I, I love about, uh, you know, Spangler, you know, the, the famous quote, you know, optimism is cowardice, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, look, the, you, you, but I mean, again, people hate this, but it's so true. Like life is hard congratulations you too have learned this right like you know and, and it's and it's not to discount the things you're going through your life may legitimately be difficult but it's but the answer is not to just sit there and like you said dig in either on the radfin side or on the on the uh migtas side and say well it's all just the opposite side. It's like yes absolutely there are things again there are serious problems serious institutional problems serious uh, uh, problems of approach. There are things that both men and women are told that are absolute lies that they completely internalize and it makes things absolutely toxic. And you can blame all those things every single day. But for you, you still have to change things. It's, it's like the, uh, you know, the Jordan Peterson, Peterson thing, like just clean up your room is a terrible piece of advice collectively. It, it doesn't solve problems. It doesn't lead your your society to collectively solving issues and navigating issues. But it's really good advice personally, because it's the thing you can most directly do to change what's going on in your life. And so it's not a great thing to just blurt out at anyone going through something difficult, 
But at the end of the day, it is the first step to any kind of change that's going to make a difference in your life and relationships are no different. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't want to also not discount, you know, the, the insights coming out of the, the so-called manosphere and, you know, even the, the rad femmes sometimes have a point. Um, and especially because, you know, that the manosphere brought a lot of stuff that was culturally taboo. I mean, there is, you know, there's this feeling, you know, the, the women are wonderful effect uh, and, you know, this kind of an illusion that culture kind of wants to maintain, um, you know, the, you know, everyone has that feeling about their own mom. You know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be an asshole, essentially. That's kind of what, what, what happens a lot of times in relation to making broad statements, generalizations about women. Um, the fact that the Manosphere made generalizations about women, and they were correct a lot of times, does give them some power and, and some leverage. And I feel like, you know, some cultural cachet that's well-deserved. Um, but at the same time, like I said, you know, there is a, there are intrinsic mechanisms in how information is propagated online, how things get viral, how people find them, find out about them, how you become a personality online, um, that are not necessarily good for finding out the truth, for crystallizing what is actually there, but for hard, hardening factions around certain, you know, coordinating ideas, you know, which, in real life is good, you know, it, it makes a nation, it makes a tribe, it makes a family, it makes a religion. But online, you know, the, the stakes are low and the only direction that things can take is a ratchet. It's always like more and more and more and then cleaving off the, the, the naysayers and push it, push it, push it. And then you just get to positions that are just like a bit, you know, it's just, you know, who who is your audience here? You know, there's like 10 guys around you who are that hard line that they, you know, want, I don't know, the total female annihilation or whatever, you know, is the, is the newest click on the ratchet. So anyway, it's, um, like I said, good insights, bad incentives in the places where these insights are found and where they grow and where they propagate. So speaking of good insights, I, I'm, I don't know if you caught uh, some, some of the current drama uh, but uh, Lomez had an article uh, in First Things. I don't know if you saw that on The Longhouse. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to kind of get your opinion on this because, you know, first, uh, it's very funny. There was a the very uh, adverse reaction to a segment of the new, from a segment of the new right, kind of the post-liberal order crowd, uh, to Lomez's article. Uh, they call they refer to it as Nietzschean, which I thought was kind of interesting because it, it didn't seem very Nietzschean to me. I'm not an expert on Nietzsche, but it didn't, didn't seem like that at all. And there just seemed to be a, a real um, reaction to the fact that that anyone would broach broach the topic of a culture that might be too feminized, that might be too feminine. All of a sudden, just sent all these guys into kind of a tizzy, and it's, it's really disappointing because some of these people are people I respect. But just their their knee jerk reaction to dismissing and 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 just you know defaming some piece that you know characterizing in a way that just I don't think was in any way accurate. What do you think about this this reaction of people who are kind of supposed to be leading some section of the right, but just immediately recoiled the suggestion that like men might need spaces where they can kind of have, you know, male leadership and, you know, have the ability to exercise kind of their natural proclivities as men. Yeah, I think in, in that case, it did, it did seem a little bit like a, you know, guilt by association type situation, because I think everyone knows that the, the longhouse meme 
comes from Bronze Age mindset, associated Bronze Age pervert, um, you know, maybe some pre-existing negative associations with the larger Bronze Age pervert phenomenon is what they were reacting to. Uh, and the fact that I think maybe it was jarring for a lot of people, because First Things is, I mean, as far as I know, it's a, it's a Christian magazine. It's got... Yeah, it's a Catholic um, magazine, I believe. Yeah, Catholic magazine, obviously, you know, the the integralists would probably bristle at the fact that, you know, some anonymous person who's, you know, maybe interesting, but they probably follow him, but he's from a different section, you know. There's, you know, there's a cordon sanitaire around this this section, and that they're now being pulled into the um into the mainstream, the mainstream of Catholicism, integralism, whatever, um, and that they're given a given a platform there in in, you know, the this this sacred center of, of of you know a place where um yeah where where they usually publish um and I think there is obviously a tension between I don't think necessarily what what Lomas wrote in that particular article though you know obviously the longhouse is Bap's meme um but between you know vit- pagan vitalism I mean I don't know exactly how pagan it is but you know vitalism Nietzschean vitalism and the Christian part of the post liberal right I mean this is pre-existing tension it's been there since the beginning now the battles are being fought a little bit more and i think this is just one of the kind of the spin-off battles okay this is our turf you know why is the catholic magazine publishing this you know associate of the of the pagan vitalists has nothing to do with catholicism um and it i mean as far as i understand that does reject Christianity as any sort of he, he he's not anti-Christian he accepts Christians he respects Christianity in some ways but as a political solution which most of these uh, Catholic associated uh, people would would think okay Christianity comes first he rejects that completely and you know he believes that that's going to open the doors to you know third world universalist uh, mayhem and fair fair criticism I mean you could be Christian and and also accept that that is probably what's going to happen. And, you know, it's kind of like the, the fact with integralism. I mean, you can be Catholic and, you know, be kind of interested in the idea of integralism when you contrast that with the actual composition of the church. And, you know, especially with the things that came out recently, I don't know exactly what the book was called, but there's kind of a tell-all type situation about mm-hmm. the lavender mafia. I mean, no offense, but they're pretty much all homosexuals, especially in the higher echelons and, you know, what that trickles down into and, and how abuse was covered up and all sorts of just absolutely vile things. And the idea that we're just going to organize our state around this cabal <laughs> of degenerates. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily think that's a that's a great uh, whatever. What's it called? Shelling point for for civilization. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of what happened there. To be honest, I I, I kind of read the article diagonally, but I understand. I feel like I understand the meme, and I feel like uh, I think it was a really good descriptor of a word that is commonly used, and it's out there, and people are using it, and people want to understand what it what it is, and I think it's a useful concept as well. I mean, do I agree? I think the, the problem when you have something like that, oh, the longhouse, you know, matriarchal societies, uh, gynocentrism. It tends to, um, like any meme, it tends to, when at the top where it's sophisticated and people understand it, it's okay. But it trickles down to the the midwits and people who kind of tendentially understand it. And essentially they, you know, think that women rule the world and they're both, you know, hyper-agentic people who, you know, just from the, pull the strings from in, in the background of society, but also completely incompetent and, you know, barely know how to, you know, put their pants on in the morning. And you kind of have to hold that strange um contrast in your mind but yeah i think 
very useful meme, you know, it's kind of like no enemies to the right, you know, it's really nice and sophisticated at the top. When it trickles down to, to the, the grunts of the movement, it can get all sorts of, of, uh, of strange. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of my two cents on this. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's weird because you're right. Like there are very, you know, you see this with like the friend-enemy distinction all the time. It's it's, it's a pretty relatively deep piece of, of thought that suddenly just comes to like my team good, their team bad, which isn't wrong, but it's the, it's the uh, there's a lot more to it. And when these things trickle down, people do get confused about them or they, they do just become blunt instruments. But I don't, you can't avoid that, right? Like that, that's how it works. So I, I think like that's just, that's a part of the discourse. I think that's a part of the memes. They're always going to do this. And so pointing to one meme or another and saying this happened to it, just, it, of course it did. Like that, that's just how it works. And I think you're right that there was a big like a uh, home court uh, problem there of like, how dare they just, you know, besmirch my, you know, very very highbrow magazine with some anonymous nrx poster guy you know but uh you know it's also like sorry guys like this is this is gonna happen uh there's gonna be a lot more of this you're gonna see you're gonna see anons you know popping up and explaining weird weird terminology and all your favorite conservative uh uh you know sites so just just kind of you know grab on for the ride because that's that's gonna happen but it's just very interesting if you're if you're trying to dissuade people from the idea uh, or like if, if you if you're trying to avoid men pursuing some kind of nietzscheanism some kind of nietzsche uh, nietzschean you know baptist philosophy um then isn't like the worst thing you can possibly do is just look at the most mildly uh you know masculine critique of a feminine space and be like well that's nietzsche <laughs> like because th- then immediately every guy who every young guy who's looking at that is like, I see some problems with this. Uh, who's this Nietzsche guy? Why, why is this Nietzschean? And all of a sudden, you know, you've you've launched a thousand ships, you know, and it just it seems like a very foolish way. You're you're strisanding strisand affecting your 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 objection to the longhouse meme in this situation, I feel like. Yeah, I think it's um, you know, there's a there's also kind of a, a lot of there are a lot of followers around BAP who Streisand, everything that comes out from the from from anyone yeah, who has any sort of uh, criticism around them, around him, and I think it's you know it's a it's good you know that's kind of the following you want to have, um, and you know that's uh, good on him for for building that type of loyalty you know Nietzschean in in a way uh, the the esprit de corps that that he uh, he built around him, but um, um, yeah, I mean. I don't know. I think people just don't know how to how to react to this. Uh, it's obviously this is meme magic. It comes from a different place. It is intellectual, but it's also, you know, a little bit, you know, outside of the parameters of, of normal intellectual discourse. I mean, the I don't call it what you want, the the baby talk aspect of it, the, you know, the the strange fact that, you know, you can't put a face to these. You can only put, you know, a, a nice set of, of traps and a and a back on a beach to uh, to whatever uh, communication comes out of this. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's you know for someone like you know like Patrick Deneen was uh, the person who was kind of said to you know have reacted very badly to this. You know, he's a professor of Notre Dame. <laughs> I mean, how yeah. how should he negotiate these waters? Obviously, he's dismayed at at what he sees. Um, I know should one be dismayed. I'm not. I think it's, you know, it's it's just the way 
this stuff works and um you know i'm i'm kind of glad that these um these memes are out there and people are are curious about them and and they're listening to them and this is a new type of putting philosophy out there and putting uh thinking about the world out there that's more digestible to people who maybe haven't read you know how liberalism failed um there's also a lot of echoes obviously in in the post liberal space and Baptist space and you know NRX and all this type of stuff. We're kind of talking about the same stuff, obviously different conclusions and maybe different genealogies. Everyone's got their pet theory about what it is, but um, we're on similar ground. So I think it's a, it's a mixture of just being, um, I don't know, surprised and disconcerted about this new landscape, you know, a little bit of kind of boomer energy here, um, but also just a bit of a turf war, I think, you know, like who is yeah. the heir of to post-liberalism? You know, obviously the, the the Catholic integralists want want it to be them. Um, I don't know. <laughs> NRX wants wants their CEO Red Caesar type. You know, the dif- different factions want different outcomes. And I guess this is the time where there's enough clout in the space for us to be fighting it out. Maybe that's why also all these beefs are intensifying and the hit pieces and this and that. And um, it's interesting and fascinating, but it's also a little bit a little bit tiresome to just see this like churning infighting about the dumbest stuff yeah. but yeah mm-hmm. i mean you know it is what it is well i i wanted to get to one more thing that uh but we went that round a a, a bunch of rabbit holes so we'll, we'll kind of pull it back to to the male female relationships here real quick uh but guys if you have any questions for myself or alex go ahead and drop them we'll get to those here before we go this will probably be uh kind of our last topic here but one of the big things uh getting back to your your original piece that you talked about was dependence, right? And we we talked about kind of that the technology and the welfare state, the 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 social engineering freed people of that dependence. And when you don't have to fall into those roles naturally, everything gets confused, everything gets mixed up. Is there a way to return to dependence or is there another framework with which men and women can negotiate and have successful relationships and marriages kind of in the modern mindset or are, are the, is the plethora of ways in which one can avoid dependence just too tempting. And there's, there's no way kind of to go, to go back, to put this back into Pandora's box. Now that we, we have all these things, do you just have to kind of wait for the, the welfare state to collapse before men and women can can once again depend on each other and form kind of more natural uh, bonds. Yeah, I think um, before before the welfare state collapses, because it might it might be a little bit of time, and just putting that aside, because that's you know legitimate option. You know, yeah. I, I won't discount it. Black pill. There is a there is a math it. thing involved there. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it might be coming. Um, I. I think, you know, this, you, you put it very well, the, the idea there's just kind of, there's something haunting about the, the cultural idea of independence. I mean, the fact that it's been shoved down our throats by every sort of, you know, media. I mean, maybe less so for men because men kind of are independent, but for women it's, it's you know, the theme of, of every sort of show, you know, just the, the living alone, having your job, doing this and that. Um, you know, there's that force. And then on the other hand, there's just the reality that, um, you know, women really did have to be tied into, uh, you know, structures provided by their father, structures provided by their husband, you know, protection by their brothers. And now they 
don't. And I mean, this is obviously part of the state, you know, because people say, oh, the nanny state just married the women, but it's also their jobs. I mean, you know, some, some jobs suck. And I know this is a big meme, you know, the women, you know, working girl bosses and, you know, crying their, their nights into whatever ramen noodle soup they make for themselves alone at night and whatever, sleeping with their cats and stuff. It's true. And I think, um, I think a lot of people are waking up to the fact that, you know, being completely independent is a, is a, is a barren and psychologically exhausting existence. Um, but at the same time, um, it, it really is the case that a lot of women end up preferring that, you know, they convince themselves, you know, through cultural forces and all that. Then, so those women have opted out, you know, essentially fem cells, MGTOW type, type situations. But I feel like the vast majority of people um, are starting to have a few understandings about dependence, maybe not necessarily explicitly, you know, they couldn't write an essay about what they're feeling, but they, they seem to, to understand that, okay, you can't go on like this. Um, and I feel like that's a, that's a good chance for, um, you know, programs like yours or, or mine to start filling in the gaps. Okay. What exactly is happening here? You know, you know, we feel terrible. What is this? Why? You know, I did everything that was asked of me. Uh, and still here I am, you know, battling whatever anxiety, depression type type stuff. Um, and I feel like, you know, a, a good narrative can can serve um, a, a serious purpose here. I mean, it did, like I said, it did for me, um, you know, call it a na- narrative, call it ideology. Um, it, it really served me well to, to realize, okay, this, my existence is, you know, it's either I figure out a way to get out of this or I'm probably not going to be alive in the next five years. We'll, we'll just, you know, have to sort this out some way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there is space for kind of a spiritual awakening in that sense. And, you know, the problem is that we really, we have to choose dependence now and we have to choose it like I said, with the backdrop that life is tragic because there's something haunting about the possibility of independence as you know, it's the swiping on the apps It's the idea that, you know, maybe someone else is out there. It's the problem that it's hard and people don't expect things to be hard anymore, like marriage or, you know, essentially anything, um, you know, it's, it's hard to, to get past the hard part. Um, but I feel like this is, you know, there's power in narrative that, teaches people that, okay, this is, this is the way life is. And beyond this, there is an abyss and you either put, put up and build and, um, I don't know, put brick after brick on the life you want to have, even if it's hard, even if it's raining on the day, um, or you essentially confront the abyss. And there are many ways to confront the abyss. You know, you can do that through hedonism. You can do that through just like, I don't know, falling into, you know, unsavory ideologies. There are all sorts of ways to do it. Um, but, you know, dependence is chosen, unfortunately. There's no, there's no other way to, to have dependence now. I mean, sure, in the third world or whatever. But here in the West, even in Eastern Europe, dependence is chosen. And I feel like it's a good choice if you have the opportunity to make it. And you should, you know get yourself in the situation to have that opportunity, even if that itself is hard. So, I mean, yeah. And more and more people want dependence. More and more people I know because they, they talk to me, you know. I get lots of messages from women and men, and they're like, okay, I've, I've changed my life around. I was on a bad path. Um, it involved a lot of sacrifice. It's going to involve a lot of sacrifice, but um, it's worth it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. 
<laughs> this is also like a Jocko Willing thing, but you know, like uh, enjoy the suck or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's it is part of it, and yeah, I mean, make 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 your peace with the fact that this is it. Yeah, no. Again, I think it's true. It's not. It's not what anyone wants to hear, and it's not a long term solution for a overarching social problem. But it is the truth for the individual. And while you can sit around forever waiting for these problems to kind of right themselves, or you can just understand that you're going to make these choices and those are going to impact your life and. You, like you said, you can either choose to find a, a way to, you know, incorporate yourself into a relationship with someone, build dependency on each other, choose those options, or you can, you know, sit around and, you know, uh, enjoy hedonism and play video games all day or whatever and, and try to escape it. But there, there isn't really another option where you can just sit around hoping that, like, someone hits the society collapse button tomorrow and this all gets solved for you. So you really do have to, you have to make those conscious choices. And again, I think with, like with so much that's going on today, whether it be, you know, uh, people who are kind of unable to escape the, uh, you know, electronic devices, you know, kids who are stuck on, uh, on iPads all day, or when it comes to, you know, religion, just, there are so many things in your life where the people who make this through, who make it through this are the people who intentionally choose uh, the option that is less, that is harder, that is more difficult, that is more unpleasant, uh, that is fraught with, with possible uh, peril, but at the end of the day is going to have a much better outcome than the people who just take the kind of the slicked road right down kind of the path of, of dopamine drips and, and kind of easy outs. Uh, and there's really, there's really just no way to avoid that as much as, as other people would like kind of a system that that does all that for them. Uh, but that said, guys, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here. Alex, can you let everyone know about your wonderful podcast and where to find what you do? Of course, yeah. I mean, if you type the Subversive Podcast uh, into any sort of browser of your choice, you'll find my podcast. Uh, I do early releases on Substack and Patreon. I do some exclusive stuff. I got some articles on my Patreon. So if you enjoy my rambling way of talking, please do subscribe to my Patreon and uh, or Substack and you'll get uh, everything early and exclusive, all sorts of goodies and stuff. Um, so yeah, that's uh, at uh, alexkashuta.substack.com uh, and Patreon is, yeah, just subversive podcast. You'll find it. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it. Excellent. And guys, of course, if this is your first time here, make sure that you subscribe. And if you want to listen to this on uh, you know, all of your major podcast platforms, you just go and type in the Oren McIntyre show. If you do subscribe, make sure that you leave a rating review on Apple, Spotify, all that stuff. It really helps out. Uh, should be having Curtis Yarvin on this Thursday. I think a lot of people will enjoy that. So make sure that you are, uh, you know, checking your notifications, subscribing, all that stuff. So you get to catch that. Uh, but that said, thanks for coming by. Guys, always appreciate it. Alex, thanks for coming on. And as always, I will talk to everybody next time. <laughs>